All right. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we're so honored to be your children. We're so honored to be under your grace. We're so honored that you want to live in us and walk with us, be our Father, for us to be your people. We're so thankful that you put your spirit in us to comfort us and to counsel us. We pray, God, your spirit will be active in each of our hearts during the session, that each one of us will hear what we need to hear to bless our lives. God, you bless Robin and I as we present, that we'll speak plainly, uh, for me slowly, and um, that we can communicate the things you once said, and ultimately, God, you'll be glorified through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We're honored you take time out, and uh, we're very excited about the topic today. Uh, pure power, the power to change in real life. We really believe that the grace of God gives us the power we need. And we're going to talk today a lot about grace and about changing through the power of God's grace. Does that sound interesting? Yeah. All right. I, I thought it must be a little bit interesting, unless you thought you were coming to the class on uh, underwater basket weaving. If that, that's, that's down in, uh, in ballroom A, okay? So you came the wrong one. We're sorry about that. But... Uh, I know from my life, uh, I had and I still have a lot to change. Okay? Yeah. I'm very much an unfinished work. Uh, and the thankful is that by the power of God's grace, there have been changes. Some of them have been very slow coming. The major battle in my life, battle over sexual impurity, uh, was a battle that took nearly 30 years of trying and failing before I made significant progress. And I still fight the battle, although I now have uh, about 14 years of victory. It doesn't mean the battle is over, but it was 30 years of trying and failing. But today we're going to share some of the principles and the, how the power of grace can be effective in the things that we need to change. And for me now, I've got new challenges. <laughs> and I need the power of grace as much as ever to, to take on the new challenges that God is giving me. But we're excited to share those because... There's nothing more exciting than seeing people run free. Amen. Running free uh, is the most incredible thing that God allows us to have. And I'm so excited to share with you today a little bit of my story and what power of grace has done in my life. Amen. When I see the words, the power to change in real life, it brings up a flood of emotions for me. You know, I think of me as a little girl at six years old, five, six years old being sexually abused and you know a tear coming in my soul a rip in my soul and then I think of other sexual offenses against me and attempted rape other sexual abuse I think of you know my dad's alcoholism in my teen years and I think of loss upon loss and all of Dave and I's years of marriage and for the longest time I longed for what I called real life answers. Mm-hmm. Like answers from someone who understood. I know one of the reasons I wrote Secure in Heart is because I had looked and looked and looked for a book on insecurity from someone who understood. And everything I found, I felt. <laughs> everything I found, I felt was condescending. Like, what's wrong with you? Get it together. Get more confident, girl. Why, why are you... Stop being so insecure. And I was even being told that. And, and I longed for answers for real-life marriage. What is happening with us? Why are we almost... Why are we at the brink of losing our marriage? 
What is my role in the insanity? What do I need to change? How do we recover? How do we restore what's been lost? These are things I longed for and I wanted. And I really feel like this journey for me of writing and of speaking with my husband now full-time for going on our second year, I've learned so much. And I think what's been revolutionized for Dave and I is the power of grace. Is really understanding that grace does motivate us to say no to ungodliness. Grace does provide the safety net for us to do the deep work of the soul that needs to be done. Grace does have answers for our past. Grace is why we're here today. Amen. So one of the things in the title it talks about pure power. And so you may have taken from that, and rightly so, that we're going to talk about purity today. And for many of us, uh, purity has been a word that's caused and brought a lot of angst, or a lot of anxiety. Some of you today may have been a little scared to come, thinking, oh my gosh, if I hear a talk on purity, that's going to mean I need to go confess something, or I need to go uh, get open about something. And you know, it, it brings, for me, many, many years, uh, that was usually the case. If someone had left on purity, I knew, well, here we go again. i got to go get open because there's stuff in my life that's not out in the open. But, and we were even told at one point by a, a ministry consultant about our ministry called Purity Restored. They said, you know, I'm not so sure that's a good title because the word purity, it brings up these negative emotions and negative feelings and people aren't going to connect with that. They're going to be skeptical of you if you're talking about purity. And how sad is that? Uh, we considered their advice and we said, wait a second, Jesus talked about it. And, and, but we also came to understand that um, as he talked about it, they talked about it in a very specific kind of way. So today, we want to maybe reshape your thinking that purity is not just the absence of pornography or masturbation or immorality. That purity is a much greater topic, a topic that should be thought of in a positive way, a way that gets us excited, a way that empowers us. And so our first task today is to hopefully, if you haven't already changed your thinking about what purity means, we want to delve into that idea. Hmm. What kind of feelings does it bring up for you when someone says, how's your purity? I mean, for many of us, we're like, whoa, why do you ask? You know, what? Um, what do you mean? Um, what, do you think, what do you think I do? You know, what do you think I am? And it can bring up a lot of fear. But I love this scripture, one of the very first uh, teachings of Jesus in his public ministry when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And as a writer, I imagine being there in the audience and this hush passing over the crowd. Did he just say what I think he said? Did he say that you and I can see God? Because in their minds, only the really righteous of righteous, holy of holy, the great prophets of the past could see God. And for a woman, only men could see God. You know, what a revolutionary thought that we could see God. And they're like, well, wait a minute, what did he say? He said, blessed are the pure in heart. And I imagine there wasn't this, oh man, what is he, t- is he trying to, you know, convict us? I think there must have been this, this thrill of... Wait a minute, he's saying this is going to be our joy. This is a promise. 
He's offering this to us as a gift. He's telling us that this can be our very legacy as human beings, that we are God's pure in heart, who get to walk with Him and know Him and see Him. And that made a fundamental shift in how I saw purity. So, the talk, the word blessed, it's makairos in the Greek. The Greeks use this word to talk about the island of Cyprus. And in their mind, if anyone could get to the island of Cyprus, life would be amazing. There would be abundant fruit to eat, there would be beautiful trees, there would be wonderful breezes. Everything you could possibly want and need for life and happiness would be found in that place. Some of you may picture Hawaii that way. Some of you may picture um, uh, Hartford that way. I don't know what you picture. Um, uh, I don't know what, what your version would be of, of, of the Cyprus. But it, it was a place of, of, of satisfaction, of joy, of this fullness that would be just amazing if you could get there. So when Jesus talks about these blessings, these beatitudes, he's trying to create for them the image that if you live according to these values, pouring poverty of spirit, purity of heart, hunger and thirst for God, that your life will be full and amazing. Sometimes we've taken it the other way. We think of purity as just what's not there. How is your purity, brother? Well, I haven't masturbated in a couple weeks, and I haven't looked at porn in six months. I'm like, well, fantastic, but neither did the, uh, neither did the mannequin at Macy's. They didn't do that either, you know? Uh, so, so, you know, congratulations. That's, that, that may be a victory for you. But it doesn't sound like Cyprus to me, you know. I mean, I don't picture Cyprus as being this desert place with no trees and just a barren island of what's not there. No, it was a fertile place full with beauty and, and lush sounds and smells and fruits. And so I believe what Jesus' vision for purity was not just what you don't do. He pictured a life of fullness, of joy, of satisfaction. God created sexuality to bring great satisfaction. Unfortunately, Satan has hijacked it in many ways and caused a great amount of frustration. Amen. You know, when I think of purity now, I think of relational fullness. I think of true connection, true intimacy. I think of our marriage now going on our 38th year this year and that we're in the best years because we put away false intimacy and found true intimacy. Amen. So getting back to the word for pure in the Greek is katharos. And I love this definition, free from adhesions. So if you're a chemist or a, bio, or a chemistry major, you may know adhesions are very common in chemistry. At the molecular level, things that bind together. So you think about a pure heart, it's a heart that's free of adhesions. Mm. Things that stick to it. Things that grab onto it. Things that bind to it. So you see a purity of heart, sexual sin is only one aspect of that. You say, how is your purity? You may say, well, I'm really struggling right now because I... All I can do is think about the Boston Red Sox, you know, or all I, all I, can, all I can think about is the New York Yankees. Or I, I just, I'm just, it's on my mind all the time. I, I can't go to bed at night without checking the scores. I can't, uh, I, you know, I just, if they lose, I'm depressed. If they win, I'm, you know, I'm just really attached right now to my sports team. Kind of quiet in here, all of a sudden. Okay, <laughs> you know, that could be an adhesion. 
That could be adhesion. It could be Pinterest. It could be Facebook. It could be uh, so many other things. It could be our gardening. It could be... There's so many things that can stick to our heart. And what I found, even though I've had victory in the area of, of my sexual sin, I've got a sticky heart. You know, I started playing video games for a while. Next thing you know, I, I couldn't hardly go to bed unless I, you know, had, had beat this spider solitaire game. You know, I was like, I, like, I, I got to beat this. I got to win. I got to beat, and I got to win, win a pinnacle and win the hearts. I got to win the series of games. And if I don't, if I don't win I, all these games, I just can't go to bed yet. So I'd be up till two in the morning trying to get all the cards to do right. You know, it's like, uh oh, my heart's gotten impure because something has stuck to it. Something has gotten a hold of it. Something that's distracted me from my time with God. Distracted me from the time of my wife. I've got an impure heart. Something's got stuck to it. So we want to open our minds to the danger of impurity, but also understand that the reason why God wants our heart to be free of adhesions is because that allows us to love. The point of a pure heart is that when these adhesions are taken away, then we're free to love. Free to see God. You know, a cataract is a kind of an adhesion to the eyeball. It takes away our ability to see. In the same way, these other things, whether it's sexual impurity or other adhesions, they start taking away our vision. That's why it says, blessed are the pure in heart, because when those adhesions are taken away, then we can see God. And that's been one of the greatest things about in my victory uh, over sexual sin, is I just see God all place, over the place now. I see God in ways that I can't even talk about in front stage, because I see God just everywhere and what a joy, what an amazing life to live in the presence of God. You know, if you think of it that way, pornography is a huge adhesion. It is sticky. It fires off dopamine in the brain. We'll talk more about that later, which has extra sticking power. And I think with women, you know, they, they did a big research study at a learning university, and they found that when a woman looks at porn the blood is decreased to her visual cortex. You see what Satan wants? He wants to take away our eye that sees the danger, as I like to call it, the better peripheral vision we have as women. When women look at porn, they start to lose their peripheral vision. They've done other studies that show that when women look at porn, they're no longer able to recall details from videos like a woman usually can, because a woman is stronger visually. We start to lose our emotional intelligence. We start to need to medicate, to go places and do things we thought we would never do. See those adhesions, like Dave said, Satan has something very big in mind he wants to steal. Even the scripture that talks about don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers goes on to say um, how much God wants to walk with us. How he wants to walk with his children in unity. That's what Satan wants to steal. And so, catharos is this this idea that through Jesus, we can overcome attachments. What a powerful thought. Let's, Let's say it together. Blessed are the pure in heart. Can you say that? Blessed are the pure in heart. Now envision yourself on the island of Cyprus. Let's say it again. Blessed are the pure in heart. Envision it wherever your place is, the most incredible place on the planet. Think of that and say it again. Blessed are the pure in heart. Amen.
This is, ex- is this exciting? Is this, is it, are, we, are we reshaping your view of purity yet? Okay, we're trying. Trying hard. Okay, there we go. Ephesians 4.19, every craving, eagerly craving every practice of impurity that their desires may demand. The opposite of a heart that's free, the heart that has these adhesions, these adhesions can make us very demanding. Yes, they do. Very much enslave us to our cravings. These things bind us. They hold us fast. It says one time, and David says, it held fast by the cords of sin. It, these things, these adhesions can make us feel very restricted. And again, ultimately, they bind us from being able to love because we're so inwardly focused. We are robbed of our emotional intelligence. One of the things we've noticed about sexual sin uh, is that it stunts emotional growth. Mm. Yep. It stunts emotional growth. And the best way I can describe this is as a fifth grader, in my school, in fifth grade, the guys got girl crazy. And all they could talk about and think about was the girls and where they were at in their physical development. Okay? And that was if the girls that grew the breasts early, they were all the rage. The guys were all they could talk about. You know? They were so focused on the sexuality, the sexual parts of the, the, other, the opposite sex. And fifth graders, one guy in our school, he was so crazy... He would even throw himself on the floor to try to look up a girl's skirt. That's how, that's how crazy it was in fifth grade. This is back a long, long time ago. And you think, wow, that is so, that is so pathetic. That is so immature. But you think about the pornography world. It's all about what? Body parts. Body parts. And they, even the, the people in the industry... They're told, the, the, the actors are told, keep their hands behind their back because we don't want to inhibit the view of the body parts. And you think about that, it's like, that's like stunting the emotional growth. There's nothing about love, nothing about tenderness, nothing about caring about anyone. It's back to the fifth grade again. It's back to the emotional intelligence of a fifth grader. But that's the emotional where we live. And we were on vacation, not vacation, we were speaking down in the Caribbean. We ran across... A couple of guys talking in, in uh, Bahamas, a couple older guys. They were at this bar, and they said, oh, yeah, all we saw today was uh, a couple eights, a couple eights, uh, and they all had the same spoons going. These guys were ranking the girls, the young girls, as one to ten. These old guys were still ranking the girls based on physical appearance. It's like, how pathetic was that? It's like, how sad is that? Their emotional maturity got stunted probably way back, and they've been stuck there for probably 40 years. That is what happens with pornography and purity. It stunts our emotional growth. And that's why God hates it because when your emotional growth is stunted, it inhibits you from loving. It inhibits you from an unselfish love. You can't see a person as they really are in God's eyes. You only see their physique. And so, obviously, these cravings, these demands of the flesh are the result of sin. Something my husband taught me, I think a phrase that came from him, is the desire you feed is the desire that will lead. The desire you feed is the desire that will lead. And you know, I grew up on a diet of romance. So it's no wonder I became addicted to love. And so much so that my dignity kind of washed out. And through 20 years of on and off sexual acting out, Dave's sexual acting out, I didn't have the dignity to stand up and say, no more. You know, I didn't, I was afraid. I was afraid of being abandoned. 
But within that is great hope as well. The desire you feed is the desire who will lead. I mean, there was a time where it felt like I was always chasing self-esteem from Dave. Or I was chasing love. I was chasing feeling approval from other people. I was chasing security. You know, and then we fall. It's like, well, now I'm, I'm really serious, you know. And, and um, we made our discipleship talk and say, brother, you need to get serious about this. And, but what we're talking about is the behavior. Unfortunately, getting serious about the behavior didn't work for me. And it seldom works for anybody I've ever helped in this area. Because underneath that, that layer of action, the symptom, lies the issue that is driving. The issue that is compelling or moving people toward the action. Oftentimes, it's that one on the far left called abandonment. Mm-hmm. Until I understood that I was medicating the abandonment wounds I felt from my father. Abandonment wounds I felt because he never told me he loved me until I was 16. Until and I, had to, I had to ask him to tell me. The abandonment I came from in the junior high when I wanted to have a girlfriend and, and no girlfriend wanted to have me. Uh, all those things, those abandonment wounds of wanting affirmation, wanting someone to believe in me and it not coming. Those wounds, I was medicating those wounds. And until I understood, that's why I'm going back to this stuff. It wasn't that... I'd seen all the pictures before. All the movies had the same plot. There was nothing new there. So I was like, what's wrong with me? Why am I going back to this over and over again? And finally, through counseling and through reading a book called uh, False Intimacy by Harry Schomburg, it, it clicked. It's like, wait a second. The problem is, in my mind, when people take their clothes off for me, I think they like me. I think they want me. It's, it's a momentary rush of adrenaline, of dopamine, because I'm, I'm feeling wanted at that moment. It's fake, but for a moment it feels real. And until I dealt with that underlying issue of understanding that my real need was for godly affirmation, my real need was for connection, then it started changing for me. I started seeing progress because I wasn't just dealing with the symptom, I was starting to deal with what was underneath the surface. And that's what led to my victory. Mm. For women, the big kahunas here are self-esteem, body image, and sense of power. In fact, Charlotte Castle did a, a huge survey of women who felt out of control in their sexual behaviors on any level. Um, and what she found is these three areas that this makes me feel better about my body. This makes me feel worth something. I feel powerless, therefore this makes me feel like I have some power. I don't feel worthwhile. This makes me feel worthwhile. So the big question is why? The big question, if you struggle, in whatever area you struggle, because uh, Gerald May, one of our favorite writers, says we're all addicted to something. We've all got something that attaches to us. And so as we, as we figure out why and we drain, we learn to drain the shame. We're going to talk more about that today. And that's where this book, one reason this book was written, Grace Calls. As we do that, then those things on the top lose their power. And we begin to, our eyes begin to open up and we see purity in a new way. You see, when I'm at the bottom there, shame. Shame is emotional pain 
When you have pain, what do you want to do? You want to medicate it. You want the pain to go away. This is why a lot of why Christians have been unsuccessful in overcoming their addictions is because shame has been the main source that church leaders uh, have used to try to help people overcome. Brother, that's so disgusting. You realize how sick that is? I mean, you're not a worm, you're worm dirt. That was, that was told to me one time in discipleship time. You know, It's like, they thought, if I just got disgusted enough, if I just got disgusted enough of my sin, surely I wouldn't repeat it. Okay? Surely that would be the end of it. You get really, just really ticked off enough, that will do it. Unfortunately, shame is an emotional pain. And so instead of solving the problem, it only perpetuated the problem because now I need to medicate that pain and now I'm going to isolate and keep secrets because I don't want to feel the pain of being shamed again. And so this is how well-meaning people, and myself included, have approached others at times and just get serious about this. You know, that's just disgusting. You need to get really upset about this. Well, there's some truth in that. But in general, that approach fails to work because it only is creating more shame, leading to more isolation, which again perpetuates the activity. So what I hear you saying, honey, is repentance, we think of it as living up at the top. But really there's a repentance that is a, is a step-by-step transformation that's all underneath the surface in, in this water that we see that's the repentance that oftentimes is needed, is to heal these areas. And we'll talk more later about, yes, we do need to find a way to get desperate to change the actions that are holding, you know, the attachments that are holding us. But they lose their power as we drain the pain underneath. So, I really believe we underestimate the negative effect of loneliness. We live in a very lonely world. New statistics are coming out all the time about how lonely we are. When I've surveyed single men, ask them, what is driving your sin? What is driving your addiction? Loneliness comes out as a number one answer. But I think we also underestimate the power of affirmation. Um, here's a, an interesting study. Uh, there's a good TED talk called Why Everything We Thought About Addiction Was Wrong. Okay? Why Everything We Thought About Addiction Was Wrong by a guy named Johan Hari, H-A-R-I. It's worth a listen. And he cites a study uh, done in British Columbia. A guy named Bruce Alexander was the professor. And they used rats. And they took rats and they gave him, put one rat in a cage all by himself. And he had two choices, water or cocaine. And they found he chose the cocaine. And he would keep hitting the little button to get the cocaine over and over and over and over again until finally he just passed out or died. He said, well, obviously... He got addicted. Obviously, people will choose the addictive substance. But then they said, let's do a follow-up study. Let's create what we call Rat Park. <laughs> and we're going to take and live, fill this cage, get a bigger cage, and put all kinds of rats in there. Have, have, a, have a, a plethora of rats in there to, to, to play with. We're going to put little balls in there to play with, little tunnels, little, little um, runny things, what do you call little runny things, treadmills. And... Um, and let, let these rats, wheel, this is wheel, like, yeah. Yeah, like, let's just have, this is a rat paradise. This is a kind of rat park, like an amusement park for rats, okay? We're going to put the water in there and the cocaine, and, but this time it's going to be an isolated in a cage by himself. Let's just see what he does when he's in a rat park. And they found out that he chose the water. 
He didn't choose the cocaine. He didn't need the cocaine because he now had a connection. And then he said, let's do a third study. Let's take some rats and give them only cocaine and get them really addicted. I mean, really addicted. Poor rats. And then, <laughs> and then we're going to put him in Rat Park where he goes out of isolation, fully addicted. We'll put him now with the water and the cocaine choice. Put him back in Rat Park. And they found the great majority of rats over time stopped using cocaine and went back to water. Now, heroin is, is... I think it's either heroin or cocaine. It may end both. A strong, a strong narcotic, okay? A strong, addictive narcotic. All right. But nonetheless, nonetheless, what would that say to us if we are falling into perpetual over and over and over cycles of choosing our drug of choice, uh, whether it's sexual or something else, what would happen if we widened our circle of relationships? Mm. We had amazing circle of relationships. We had other interests, other things that brought us pleasure, other, whether it was nature or whether it was music or whether it was other interests. What if we widened our interest in God's creation and widened our fellowship and our intimate relationships? What might possibly happen? What power is there in connection? And I really believe that there's truth that we overestimate or underestimate the negative effect of loneliness. That rat's loneliness was driving his addiction. But we underestimate the power of affirmation. I don't know how affirming rats are. I don't really know what, what their emotional IQ is. But nonetheless, as human beings, isn't it interesting how the Bible says encourage one another daily? Ah. Isn't it interesting how much affirmation we need and when we don't get it how quickly we fall into things that stick to our heart into adhesions that stick to us I think there's some wisdom there that could be helpful Amen Go ahead Alright and ultimately we talked about the goal of purity to be free of adhesions is ultimately to be free to love at the end of life what's going to matter to us most is not how many houses we had how many cars we had how many awards we won I mean Robin was a champion baton twirler. She won like 200 trophies. She was ranked sixth in the nation as far as all the baton twirlers. I mean, in my age, in her age group. Okay, well, whatever. She's trying to be humble. But regardless, she was amazing with baton twirling. Two batons at a time. Fire batons. I mean, the people on the other, the opposing, the opposing bleachers, uh, the football games. They gave her standing ovations, you know, uh, for her, her baton twirling skills. I mean, but uh, now. I don't know. We maybe have like one trophy we have left. One I mean, trophy top. Yeah, I mean, and you know, one trophy top. I mean, I won the ping pong championship in my school three years ago. Come on, come on. Yeah, it's good to go. I don't know where those trophies are at. Trophies go away, houses go away, cars go away. What's going to matter at the end of our life is how many quality relationships we have. So what God, what He's doing, if you look at a sin list, what He decides is sin, He makes those choices and says, this is sin, not just because it's yucky or evil, it's because sins destroy relationships. That Galatians 5, you know, those acts of the simple nature, those are all things that will kill relationships. Steal somebody's stuff. It's going to hurt your relationship. You know, getting drunk. All these things are relationship destroyers. God designed us for the highest value in life we're going to have is the quality of our relationships. And that's why sexual sin is so important we deal with it because it's going to kill our relationships. 
and almost killed our relationship. The 20 years of acting out in our marriage, people were telling her, you need to leave. If Dave was going to change, he would have changed by now. They were preparing places for her to go and move out because they were convinced she should end this marriage and walk away. She had grounds in the marriage. She should go. It was about to kill our relationship. But now God's blessed with the best ever. But you see, sexual sin, all sin is designed to kill relationships because the highest command, remember what the greatest commandment is? Love God. Mm-hmm. Relationships. Second, like it. Love our neighbors ourselves. These are the these are the things God wants most for us in relationships. And that's why we want to be pure in heart is to be free to love. Now this little picture here is about two... Uh, does anybody know what these are? Neurons. Neurons. And what's the space in between them called? Synapse, okay. These are in our brain by the billions. Billions. And through these, we form these connections. And these connections develop into little neighborhoods in our brain. And these can be very, very powerful. These are our appetites. And they can do very, very powerful things. And so that's why when we free our adhesions, it frees us up to love, not only emotionally, but it frees us up to love in the very wiring of our brains. Amen. Amen. You know, we talked about the word katharos and how that has the idea of free from adhesions. But katharos is a very deep word, as many Greek words are. It also has within it the idea of being continually cleansed from stains from an unrenewed world. You see, God isn't asking perfection. And then many times we mistake purity with perfection. And we're left with a load of guilt and shame that drives us back into sexual sin. No, you can get stained by the world totally unintentionally, right? Walk in the store and there's a magazine. Bam! You've been stained. You know, walk through the mall. Bam! Big billboard. Partial nudity. You're on the computer innocently. Bam! Thumbnail. Comes up. You're at work or school. Somebody brings a phone. Bam! Shows you some nudity. You see what I mean? God knew that we would be stained by an unrenewed world. But in Katharos, it's the idea that he's the one that does the cleansing. So doesn't it make sense? Satan would want to drive us away from the cleansing, taking us into hiding, thinking we couldn't possibly tell people this stuff. Because then we don't come to Jesus, the cleanser, to receive our legacy gift of purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Right. So we talked about how... We have 25 minutes. Okay. So the second part of the purity equation is, again, we mentioned a while ago, that the power of acceptance. Power of acceptance. It's interesting because it talks about, uh, Patrick Carnes talks about the core beliefs of those who are sexual addicts. Number one is, that I'm a disgusting, unworthy person. Number two is, if anybody really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Those are the core issues, the core beliefs of those who struggle sexually. And so you can see then that acceptance is God's antidote, God's anti-drug, because in true acceptance from God and others, we do believe we're, we're worthwhile. We do believe we can say anything and tell anybody, or not anybody, but tell those in our inner circle, the deepest things in our heart. And when they say that they love us and they're not running away from us, that's powerful. 
That's why group work is so powerful. Because in a group, you can be totally open, and the group doesn't run away and, and hide from you. It's like, oh, oh, no, 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 we're out of here. Goodbye, you know. No, the group continues to love you in spite of your worst self being revealed. And so we're talk a little bit about the power of acceptance. 1 John 3.3 3. See what love the Father has lavished on us in letting us be called God's children. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and it has not yet been made clear what we will become. And everyone who has this hope in him continues purifying himself since God is pure. I love this because it basically says that if we can really understand the love that he's lavished on us, If we could even understand that even though we're not yet where we want to be, but he sees us as there, he sees where he's taking us, he sees his plan for who we'll become, then our hope would be so strong that we'd continue purifying ourselves. We'd see the purity of God and say, I want that. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Grace and acceptance are so powerful. And this is really the heart of sexuality. You understand sexuality, the way God designed it. It's to be an act of ultimate acceptance. Yes. Acceptance. That is really the heart of sexuality. One person accepting another totally in all their foils, all their imperfections. I went to a conference as a teenager, and this older minister said, you know, why, why you said this to a bunch of teenagers? I don't know. He said, our sex life now is better than ever. I'm like, ooh, you know, he's old. You know, this is disgusting. Like, why would he even mention? I don't even want to think about it. It's like, your parents having sex. Oh, no, 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 don't. No, don't. It's like, um, but, but, but the older you get, the more you realize it's better because there's more acceptance going yes, on. Yes, yes. A lot of things start changing in the body where you need more acceptance than ever. Yeah. And, 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 and so, so, so the sexuality can be better, not because of performance. That's the world's view of performance. No. What makes sexuality what God intended to be is acceptance. Acceptance. And so, um, I don't know where that came from. I just thought I'd throw it in. Right, that, that was free. Okay, nobody, no charge for that. Um, but I think it's related. It's related. We understand God's vision of this amazing acceptance. We start to see the beauty of sexuality and in a whole different way than what the world sees it. Back to the topic of shame. Shame is a neurologic, neurobiological phenomenon. It's not bad in and of itself. It rather... It is our system's way of warning of possible impending abandonment. Mm. Although we don't think of it in those terms. However, we tend to respond to it by relationally moving away from others rather than towards them. This is Kurt Thompson, The Soul of Shame. So you understand that shame isn't bad by itself, but shame is the body's way of saying, "Uh uh uh-oh, uh-oh, they're going to abandon me, they're going to move away from me, they're going to think I'm worthless. They're going to think I'm dirty. They're going to think I'm sinful. They're not going to want to be around me. They're not going to want to be my friends anymore. So I need to, you know, I need to pull away first. And that takes away the chance of them pulling away first. You know, I'll pull away first and avoid possibly being abandoned in my heart. And so, obviously, shame is powerful because ultimately it causes us to pull away and therefore losing the opportunity to develop the depth of our relationships. Go ahead. So, this is a chart, I think it was inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, through Robin, was to talk about, and it came out of, there's a lot of grace calls, is understanding how powerful shame can be, how 
if we're talking about the power of acceptance, we have to also understand the power of shame, which ultimately is the opposite of acceptance. We see how the shame comes, and in, in our soul, this well of abandonment in our soul, this fear of shame, it starts to fill up this well. And instead of, of, you know, of dealing with it, we, we repress it, we, we push it down. So, nah, I, don't, eh, I don't want to deal with that, I don't want to deal with that. Push it down, and the water comes up a little higher, you know, this well of abandonment. And it's so embarrassing, it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Especially guys, like, I can't talk about that, that's not manly, that's not, that's not macho, I can't talk about being ashamed, so I'm just going to not talk to anybody about it, I'm just going to shut people out. And the well just gets a little deeper, and finally we may just deny that we're even feeling anything, just say, no, nah, I don't I don't feel like I try to somehow manage that pain. Or we may even try to compensate for it. Think, you know what? I'm going to do three good things to offset that one bad thing. Because I'm trying to convince myself I'm a good person. You ever had that? Like, yeah. really, you're fighting inside you to decide, am I a good person or a bad person? Well, I'm going to go do, I just did something bad. I've got to go do three good things to make up for the bad thing. You know, And then maybe, I'm, maybe I am a good person after all. But try to compensate. But the well just keeps rising, rising. Ultimately then, the pain gets so strong from the shame that we medicate it with whatever our addiction or drug of choice is. And then we feel even worse, like, oh no, you know, this is uh, the Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again, okay? You know, this like, uh, it's like, you know, like, oh no, now I'm even more ashamed because I did the same stupid thing I've done a million times. I just did it again. And now the shame is even higher and we're just drowning in it. So this well of shame and this cycle of shame, of repressing, of shutting others out, of denying, of compensating, and ultimately then medicating, this can go round and round and round and hold us captive to our shame. Go ahead. All right. And so, in, in the brain science of this whole thing, we see that that is emotional pain. Emotional pain, it cries out. Oftentimes, we may choose to medicate it through some kind of counterfeit kind of comfort. Name your addiction. Um... But usually some form of dopamine that is used to counter this pain. And so what happens is in the brain is what happens when dopamine is excreted, it has the ability to, to shut down the thinking part of our brain, called the prefrontal cortex. And so in our, in our mind we know, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, I shouldn't do it, I shouldn't do it, it's wrong, God says don't do it. But as dopamine increases... The activity in the prefrontal cortex decreases. And we lose our ability to make good judgments. We see this played out in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, about the, 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 the young man. And so, what happens then in the brain is this part of the brain called the nucleus accumbens, it's a pleasure center. And so, dopamine, although it's a counterfeit comfort, it does for a moment spike the activity in the pleasure center of our brain. And unfortunately, uh, for addicts, the nucleus accumbens is very, it's right next door to the hippocampus, which is the memory part of our brain. I always tell the, the college students, like, if you saw a hippo on your campus, you wouldn't forget that, okay? The day you walk into your, to, you know, the art, art, you're walking in there, you're dragged into your art of priest class at 8 a.m., and right in the front of the class is the hippopotamus, you'd be like, that would be a day you'd remember, okay? That would be a day you would not forget that. Um, and so, the, the memory of that pleasure sticks. And then there's this part of the brain called the amygdala, which is the fight-or-flight part of the brain that tells you, if you don't get this, you will die. It's made for survival. If you don't have this, you will die. And so you see the pleasure comes in, the memory of that pleasure sticks, 
And then the emotion of, I've got to have this or I will die, kicks in. And so you can see why these counterfeit comforts, these things that spike our dopamine, which pornography is a, a huge spike in dopamine, similar to that of cocaine, when these spikes come in, the brain registers it and says, oh, that's pleasure. And then it remembers it. And then it says, oh, I've got to have this. And so people sometimes are trying to overcome. It's very difficult because in a very real way, your brain is saying, if you don't do this, you will die. That's how strong the withdrawal can be when you're trying to overcome any addictive sin in your life. And so, obviously, understanding how shame is an emotional pain is so important because it oftentimes starts this cascade in the brain, starts this cascade of, of the medicating the pain, dopamine, then we get the pleasure, then the memory, and then ultimately this craving, these incredible cravings we talked about in Ephesians a while ago. Mm. Some big carriers of dopamine for women, romance novels. Dopamine, 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 dopamine. I mean, they tested it. Huge amounts of dopamine. I could explain it in more detail, but huge amounts of dopamine. Facebook. Like, like, like. Man, they're going to like it that I liked it. And so I'm getting some dopamine, baby. You know, and so that dopamine, you know how you can be on Facebook or social media, whatever your social media is of choice, and all of a sudden you look at your watch and you lost three hours? They found that, that social media puts you in a semi-hypnotic state. And in that state, your brain is more susceptible to suggestion and your, ba- your brain is being trained. So time your social media. Put on a timer. You know, look for good ways to use social media. Be- beware of romance novels. Those things that spike the dopamine, then they shut off the prefrontal cortex, where the spiritual part of the brain lives, where the scriptures live, where God's presence, you know, where we understand it and compute it. We need to watch what we're doing because the desire we feed is the desire that will lead. So ultimately, an addiction is whenever the pleasure center overtakes the thinking part of the brain. Makes sense, right? Whenever, and if that's happening habitually in your life, you've become addicted. The pleasure center, as the, as the scripture said, now the desire has gotten demanding. The desire has almost a life of its own. So what do we do with this? And, you know, when I was writing uh, Grace Calls, I remember writing that first chart, and I was like, okay, God, what's the answer? You know, and it amazed me to see how simple it was. And that is, we need a drainage system for the soul. We need drains. We need to install some drains in the soul so the water of abandonment can run off. So when shame comes, the answer is acceptance. When shame comes, instead of being angry at my wound, oh, no, 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 I didn't really think that, yuck, yuck, yuck. Instead, we're curious and we're tender. Where did you come from? Do you have something to tell me today? Are you reminding me of my sexual abuse at age five? You know, Jesus, look at this with me. What does this mean? And then, since I'm more accepting toward myself, then I'm like, I wonder who I could talk to about that. How could I connect? Who could I share that with? How, what, what, how could they reflect grace back to me? And so I, we call that surrendering our pain. Dave will come to me and say, Honey, I want to surrender some pain to you. We, and we do some humorous things when we have pain. Dave, a lot of times, 
when I have a demon sitting on my shoulder, he karate chops it off and Pow! yeah. <laughs> he, he, if it's a big one, yeah. If it's a big one, he'll go into a whole routine. <laughs> I feel better already. And so, you know, we help each other do spiritual warfare, and then I accept that I'm changing. Hey, I'm human, but I'm changing. I caught myself. I saw what I was doing. I threw away that romance novel when it got steamy. You know, I, I made, I had some convictions. I looked at The Bachelorette for two minutes, but I cut it off because it was wrong. You know, I'm changing. And then we become to accept our weakness. Christ was crucified in weakness. Paul talked often about his weakness. Weakness is supposed to be a conduit of God's grace. So we begin to accept that we're weak. We make mistakes. We do stupid things. And then we begin the big kahuna. The work that Jesus wants to do in our soul is to accept that we are valuable even in our craziness. Even in my moments of despair. You know, my tears are so valuable, the scriptures say in Psalm that he collects them in a vase. You know, that I'm valuable, I'm important. So as shame comes and I do this over and over and over again, do you see what happens? I become more resilient. I'm more resilient. I'm living in the acceptance of Christ and false in this intimacy begins to lose its glitter. Yes. So, in doing this, in draining these, these drains of our soul, we call this in our recovery group, we're daily renewal. Daily renewal because in surrendering and letting these things build up in the heart, we kind of stay ahead. We stay ahead of the pain. Because all the times God just say, I was going along so good and all of a sudden, bam, I just fell. I was like, well, maybe so. Let's talk about your week a little bit. Let's talk about what happened at work. Let's talk about how you're feeling about your finances. Let's talk about what happened, you know, in your life. And wait a second. Oh my gosh, there was all kinds of pain. All kinds of shame. All kinds of things going on. Anxiety that was building up. And then all of a sudden, I medicated that pain. But if I stay ahead of it, if I stay ahead of the pain and surrender every day, call it daily renewal, because each day has enough trouble of its own, it's no wonder the scripture says encourage one another daily. It doesn't have to be sexual. It can be just talking about frustration, talking about anxiety, talking about shame. Those kind of things that are, are triggers, that are, are under, underneath the iceberg kind of things. We talk about those things on a daily basis. It's amazing what happens. Philippians 1 says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You start draining your soul with somebody on a regular basis, your knowledge of them increases incredibly. Your depth of insight about them increases incredibly. And it says the promise of that, when you do that, you love, your bounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be pure and blameless till the day of Christ. As you do this, your heart and attachments just start falling off. And these things that were just burdening you, you know, I got a ticket one time for, I had a college group and I was going to an event I got a ticket right in front of the whole campus ministry. And I was feeling so terrible. I confessed it. I surrendered my pain to a brother. And he said, listen, I'm from California. The tickets there are $500. And I got two of them last year. All of a sudden, I'm like, hey, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. <laughs> My $100 ticket, just the, the pain just went away, you know? But see, if we don't drain that pain, it builds up, it builds up. We think we're worthless, we think we're uh, defiled, defective, and 
within Medicaid. So there's a lot more to talk about in this topic. Ultimately, we need to fill up because as we take away, if we don't rewire the brain, if we don't put things back in the house once it's cleaned out, demons worse than the first will come and will come back with a vengeance. So I want to talk about some tools right now. Our time is up. We're talking about some things because there's so much to learn on this topic. We're going to tell you about some tools that will help you to become more mindful, to build the power of your prefrontal cortex. Because there's a full life. The path to purity. David says, how can a young man stay on a path of purity? You read the scripture in Psalm 119, 8 and following. It's full of positives. It's saying delight, rejoice, praise, meditate, not get disgusted about your sin. No, filling up with a life of fullness, a true intimacy, of true love, and surrendering your pain. Amazing full life. Blessed life. Because we're seeing God Himself and seeing God through others. So we're going to give you some tools because there's so much more to talk about. We'll leave you with some tools and then be on our way. So, um, one of the tools that... um, we want to obviously talk about already grace calls. Powerful tool, a, a journey of stones through trauma, through torrents, through triggers, taking us from the depths to being wounded healers. Able to help us. This book won uh, the, the 2017 gold medal, the best book of all the Christian authors, all the Christian presses. They voted on the best book in 2017 for recovery and self help. This was the winner. Actually, it was Judges. It was. Oh, Judges. Well, whoever it was. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I like it to be right. You're right. But it, it was amazing. And we have an endorsement on the back. Josh McDowell, a very famous Christian author, read the book, has endorsed it thoroughly. Uh, amazing, amazing book. This is available. Don't forget, of course, you know, uh, Secure and Hearts out there, Eve Song. We've got a conference special going on. All three books for 40 bucks. So wow. uh, in, any three items for 40 bucks. Uh, those will be available at the table. Underneath your uh, chair, well, somewhere... You, you can't get three grace calls. Oh, but you, can't get, you don't get one grace call, but you get one grace call plus two other items. It's a $23 book, so yeah. you're getting a book free, basically. All right. So you can either choose one of these other two books, or, or two of those other books, or the third option we have is a, a, a journey, a 40-day devotional series called Pure the Journey. It was developed for campus students, but now it's being used in all ages. It's a 40-day devotional series. We send you the PDFs, and you have it. You get on your computer, and it takes you through 40 days, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night for 40 days. It's revolutionary. It covers all these purity principles and a lot more, and that's $15. But you can get that as one piece of the three for special, or you can buy it, um, buy it on its own. What we're doing right now, though, on the Pure the Journey, Robin and I are going to Africa. Two weeks from today, we'll be in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. And... Uh, they needed us in, in, in Lagos, Nigeria. They, they, we have 400 teens there, and we need help with our teens. We had help with our teen parents on purity. And we couldn't say no. We couldn't say no. We didn't have the money. They didn't have the money to bring us. But we said, we're going to come regardless. And so if you buy Pure the Journey, the 40-day series, um, that money will go towards funding our trip to Africa. And, of course, you can, you can actually give more than the 15 if you like uh, to help us. We'd appreciate that. And we'll just need to get your email address and um, we'll set you up with that. And so, uh, finally, another tool, a couple more tools for you. If this has been around a while, but this is not a cassette tape, this is thumb drives. 
And so uh, this could be a part of the three for special or just buy it by itself. 21 lessons on sexual purity. As we've been in 40 cities around the world, every city I've gone to, men have said, this has changed my life. I listened to these lessons over and over again. Women, women too. Uh, lessons I did a while back. Uh, those are available. And in, listen to those on a regular basis. And very powerful. And finally, under your chair, somewhere you were handed a flyer that says connected on it. So right here in Boston, or right here next door in Boston, November 9 through 11, is what a conference we call Pure and Simple. This is our 10th annual Pure and Simple. It's the longest running purity conference of its kind in the world that we're aware of. And it is an amazing, shame-free event, shame-free, anonymous, safe environment event that changes lives like nothing we've ever seen. And it's going to be right here in the Northeast this year. And so you'll be hearing more about it. There's information on there. The registration will open in about August the 1st or shortly thereafter. But it is an amazing event. We don't want you to miss it. And it will be a full weekend, Friday, all day Saturday, up till noon on Sunday, a powerful, grace-filled teaching that will just inspire you. So those are some tools we want you to be aware of. Plus, we want you to have, Jesus said, I came to give you life in the full. He wants you to have the cypress, the blessed life. Satan's trying to entangle us. He's trying to adhere to our heart and to try to take away our vision of God. But we're fighting against that. And we're learning through the power of grace, God's affirming presence, through the power of acceptance and building true intimacy, we can indeed have the victory. I was held captive for nearly 30 years by sexual sin. But as of this month, I now have 10 years of victory over pornography and 14 years of victory over masturbation. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that was possible? It is possible. A marriage that was being told, was done, finished, is now the marriage of an amazing marriage. I'm so thankful she chose to stay with me because uh, God has blessed us in amazing ways. So, the book tables are open in the front and back. And we have a, a, a table out next to the registration table because it's going to be probably too many people at once. We'll be here all the way through Sunday. Get some tools and savor the message. Amen? Amen. Thank you.